This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm not saying we're going to completely cure your case of the Mondays, but Charlie Potter and myself are going to do the best we can to get your week off to a good start here on a Monday edition of Daybreak. It is March, the first Daybreak of March 2020. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, along with Charlie Potter, does an outstanding job covering Crimson Tide Athletics for us there at BamaOnline.com. Charlie, we're coming off a uh, leap day, a leap weekend. Uh, did you make good use of this extra day that we're going to have in the year 2020? I, I assume you did, and and certainly there was no shortage of uh, topics when it comes to University of Alabama athletics from over the weekend. <laughs> no, it was a pretty busy weekend, and Saturday was no different. Uh, I think the only, I don't want to say bright spot, uh, but the I guess the splurge and um, highlight of Leap Day is we we bought some Girl Scout cookies, so that's always a good nice. day when you can do that. But yeah, I mean, what what what, what <laughs> did you buy the most of? Which which flavor? I, we need well, to know that. That's important. That's a character check is what that is, really. Let's hear it. We bought, we bought the most of my wife's favorite, which is Tagalongs, but my favorite is Samoa. So we got three okay. boxes. I got one box. and um, But the, the most we got were the, were the Tagalongs. So I'm a Samoa guy. I don't really love coconut anywhere else um, outside oh. of the Girl Scout cookies. I don't know what it is, but those are just, since I was little, those have been my favorite. So that's, that's what I always go with. What about the uh, dosi dos? I'm a thin mint dude. I like to take those thin mints and put them in the freezer. Do you do you do that with the other cookies? Um, yeah, that, that's always kind of been my my sort of go to is to put them in the freezer. Those uh, Girl Scout. Now, not the not not all, not the shortbread, but like the the thin mints. Do do you chill the cookies or do you just room temp them? Room temp. Um, <clears throat> I can get down some dosy dos. Uh, I don't mind tagalongs either, but you know, it's, we don't buy them a lot. Usually, just once. And um, we were driving around and um, stopped at Lowe's, actually up there in Northport. And they were um, they were out there in their vests and chanting, uh-huh. and they got my wife pretty easily. So for me, um, just a, a simple box of. Samoas. I try to make them last as long as I can, but uh, rim temp is rim temp is what I I try to go with. Yeah, you know we justify those Girl Scout cookies with the old. It's for a good cause. You know, <laughs> we get seven as we get seventy nine boxes and and pile them in the trunk. You know, They're, but it's for a good ha- cause, honey. You know, that's always uh that's a good way to sort of justify all that. Yeah, the um, good thing for the good thing for us is we try only to pay with cash. I know that helps them out the most, and we don't really carry a lot of cash, so that's the that's the nice. silver lining for us. And usually, you can only get about three or four boxes of what we have on us, so that's that's always a, kind of I guess a, a blessing in disguise. Yeah, the cash governor, I guess you could call it that. That can serve you well uh, when you're maybe a little impulsive, and uh, that that's kind of the way we roll as well. 
uh, can help you out in those uh, type of situations. Well, Charlie, it was. I mean, it was a crazy busy weekend just right here in Tuscaloosa. It seemed like every spring and winter sport were going on simultaneously uh, in some corner of the University of Alabama campus. Uh, Again, pick a sport, and it was probably going on uh, over on the capstone. This weekend, you had gymnastics Friday night. Dana Duckworth's team gets another win, another impressive score for the ladies. The gymnastics team at the University of Alabama, a 197.200 and a win over Kentucky. So that was a positive result on the mat. Uh, But, man, you talk about Alabama softball over the weekend with that Easton Crimson Classic. Not necessarily the result I'm sure Patrick Murphy would have liked. Went 3-2 and in the event. The anticipated showdowns with 7th-ranked Arizona, however, didn't go the way of the home team. A couple of really tough one-run losses. Thought there were still some positives. Positives and all that, especially where Lexi Kilfoyle, the freshman pitcher, is concerned, just absolutely battled in both of those games because you had Montana Fouts out for the weekend for the most part, um, at least Saturday and Sunday due to illness. I guess. And so a lot of the pitching load in those games, if not all of it, against Arizona really rested on the right shoulder of Lexi Kilfoyle, and I think that's the kind of experience that's sort of invaluable for a young pitcher like that. Baseball, sticking with the Diamonds, another successful weekend for this team, Charlie. 12-0 and now, Brad Bohannon's team. Uh, the second longest win streak for an Alabama baseball team to open a season in program history. That being said, knowing what's still out there, and conference play cranking up in a couple weekends. What's kind of your buy-in level right now with this 12-0 and Alabama baseball team? Yeah, I mean, they're playing well. Um, you know, the, their bats have come alive. They, the the Saturday game, the, um, <laughs> the crazy eighth inning that was, I mean, they've got a little bit of help, but offensively they've been able to produce runs, and I think their pitching has been um, – maybe a little bit better than expected. I know that was a concern for Brad Bohannon going in. So uh, we all know that we'll learn everything that we need to know about this team when the SEC play uh, comes up here in a couple of weeks, but you know, go 12 and 0, um, you know, to win games. And I, I think we've talked about it before to, to win games in a place like Vegas with all the distractions to, to know, um, you know, that the pressure of, of staying undefeated. I mean, that's not easy, especially for a team comprised of young guys. I mean, they've they've been able to to answer the bell with a lot of different challenges, and um, you know they have I think what five games before SEC play starts, and you know, if they can get to 17 and 0, um, you got to be feeling pretty good about the postseason because I think this team now has um, you know a well-rounded roster that can compete uh, in the league, and uh, if they can do that, uh, it should be a promising season for Brad, Brad Bohan. I saw him at Hokkaido on 15th Street on Friday after the game, and I think every time I've seen him, he's been all smiles. So I know he's um, he's happy, but he knows there are tougher challenges on the horizon. And um, like I said, I think if they can get to 17 and 0, maybe only lose a game here before SEC play starts, I think that's huge for them uh, getting to the meat of the schedule that we know is going to be really tough. Yeah, birthdays and wins. There's nothing more American about celebrating either than hibachi. I think we uh, <laughs> I think we can all agree on that, Charlie. Uh, there's nothing like a birthday celebration and or a sports win celebration than some good old-fashioned American hibachi grill. Um, 
I agree. I think what you're going to find out, and we know this, and Brad Bohannon knows this, but I think what we're seeing is offensively you got a really nice mix right now. You're talking about a team that has a couple of guys uh, in Gentry and, and Prater both hitting over 400. You've got some veteran stability that you really brought in a year ago in the form of junior college transfers, Brett Auerbach and also Colby Robinson. And then you've got this freshman impact. It seems like it's all coming together nicely, both in terms of talent and maturity um, and youth that you were probably counting on. Owen Diodate continues to do some really good things at the plate. This is a team right now, and again, we understand the, the, the bigger fish, far bigger fish, are still out there. Uh, but this is a team right now hitting just under 330 as a team. With 48 extra base hits in 12 games, and as much as we'll talk about the offense, though, Charlie, a lot of this is going to come down to that weekend rotation, and you got a couple of true freshmen right at the top of that group with Connor Prelip and Antoine Jean uh, that, that are going to be extremely critical to exactly what the ceiling for this team is. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I think Prelip has been outstanding to start the season. I think... Antoine Jean's kind of um, settled down a bit, and it, you look at just overall. I mean, they're they're obviously undefeated, uh, but those guys have, have been tested, um, especially Connor Shamblin, the Saturday starter. He was testing a bit mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday. Um, you know, Antoine Jean's faces fair share of um, of challenges as well. But I think that even hearing about these these young pitchers and the promise they had um, be- before the season, I think. Brad Bohannon knew that he has talent. Uh, they just have to get experience, and they've gotten that. And you know, and they're gonna like. I mean, it's it's a broken record for me. I mean, we'll learn everything we need to learn about this team, especially this pitching staff when when SCC play gets here. But uh, I think they've answered the bell pretty nicely, and you you can't ask for much more than than twelve and zero from this staff. And um, I think that um, you know, Jean is is improving. I think Prelib is is every bit, uh, and maybe even more of what they expected. He's been phenomenal to start the season really has, and you're very much still in the developmental stages of a season-long identity for this club, if you're Brad Bohannon, and that includes these midweek games. You're going to have two more this week with South Alabama and UNA in here. You got Lipscomb coming to town for a weekend series. Uh, Then this team goes to UAB midweek next week, and uh, then it's real. You know, as you get Missouri in conference play, uh, and then a weekend after that, you go to Arkansas, which, you know, the, the SEC West, as we know, is just just ridiculous uh, in, in many sports, but baseball prime among them. So uh, the, 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 the trajectory, I guess you could say, for this Alabama baseball team at this point, uh, I'm sure, is, is exactly what Brad Bohannon was hoping for. Uh, and we'll continue to learn more about this team, even in, again, in these midweek games, even with Lipscomb coming here uh, before you jump into Southeastern Conference play. Uh, let's talk some Alabama men's hoops, Charlie, because this team won't let us stop talking about <laughs> Alabama men's hoops because it does enough, even without John Petty, against a tough, as we know, tough physical Frank Martin team in South Carolina here. Uh, over the weekend on Saturday night, Alabama gets a season-extending win, I think you could say, certainly in regards to its NCAA tournament at-large bid hopes. 
uh, in knocking off the Gamecocks. And, uh, Charlie, I think Alabama just shot another free throw at Coleman Coliseum. I'm going to check on that, but but maybe you can confirm that for us. Uh, typically, if you go to the line 47 times in a game, Charlie, I'm, I'm going to guess the win rate is pretty good for those teams. Yeah, they, they certainly got there with the um, <laughs> efficiency. And, uh, you know, Frank Martin kind of joked, or maybe he didn't. He's kind of tough to read in that regard, uh, <laughs> that he he thought South Carolina should have, or Alabama should have shot 74 free throws the way that his team was playing. So yeah, that was big in the game, and is a big win. Um, you know, before um, Saturday's game, Nate Oates was talking to us, and he said that, you know, he sees that they need to win three games, or they have to win these last three games, and then they can't lose in the first round of the SEC tournament. Uh, at least one win is, is needed for them to get into the NCAA tournament, and they got that. And it, it has been a roller coaster season. Um, you know, some of that is, you know, through bad luck. Alabama has just been played with injuries. Um, you know, this is something Nate Oates has never dealt with. It's something nobody on this team has ever dealt with, how many guys have been uh, missing because of um, setbacks of, of, of a wide variety. Uh, we've seen, you know, Herb Jones has been able to play with, with one hand and, he had another heroic performance against South Carolina, which was big. And I thought it was just – it was really impressive that they were able to win a game against a team like that that's known for his defense and known for his physicality without a guy like John Petty. And, um, you know, they got big contributions from Kyra Lewis. They got big contributions from Jaden Shackelford. Uh, Javian Davis stepped up in a big way. And, um, you know, they, they got the job done one more night. Um, you know, they have – Two winnable games in front of them with Vanderbilt and Missouri, but you know, this was a big one going into it. Uh, if you'd asked me, I would have thought that South Carolina would probably get the win just from a prediction standpoint. But uh, this Alabama team, whenever it's it's playing well, whenever it's shooting well from uh, behind the three point line, but also being aggressive and getting to the rim and and drawing those fouls, they're tough to beat. And um, even whenever they they are playing with you know basically seven and a half players, uh, counting Herb's one hand. But um, yeah, I mean that's a uh, it's a situation where, um, you know, they they you know they have to keep it rolling. Um, you'll see what kind of draw they get in Nashville. But you know, this was a big win against a team that, um, like you said, it's a, it's a physical team. Frank Martin's teams are always that way. But Alabama was just a little bit more physical, and, and that proved to be uh, the deciding factor in the game to me. Yeah, without John Petty, you were going to need someone or multiple individuals to really step up their game. And if you would have told me before the game, Alabama's going to get a combined 30 and 19 from JV and Davis and Herb Jones playing with still that uh, casted up left wrist, I, I would have liked Alabama's chances. That being said, it still took every bit that this team had to offer to win by four on its home court. Um, but you, you, you talk about the SEC tournament, and there's still – you look at the standings right now in the SEC, Charlie – and there's still pretty a wide range in terms of where this team could end up slotted in Nashville, right? I mean, I think if the season ended today, I think they would be a nine seed. But with what's still out there, they're in that three-way tie right now with Tennessee and Texas A&M and kind of that seven through nine range. Tennessee's got to go to Kentucky midweek, so there should be some help coming there. And then Alabama, as we know, hosts Vanderbilt midweek before going to Missouri. So, you know, it's possible for this team to help itself from a seeding perspective and maybe in the process avoid, you know, a, a potential matchup with Kentucky earlier on in the tournament than you would like because Kentucky's playing lights out right now. 
Oh yeah, that's huge. Um, if they can get in the, on the side of the bracket where they avoid the Wildcats, that that's big for Alabama. And you know, you, you talk about just the the way that the SEC standings are right now, and you mentioned teams like Tennessee and Texas A&M. It's just, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I'm, I know, but had they just won those games against Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Arkansas, winnable games. I know they were playing without the home games. Uh, yeah, Herbert Jones. It, you just wonder what. You know how different this conversation is. Where Alabama is being projected. I mean, they're if they win those three games, they're in the NCAA tournament because they have two winnable games ahead of them uh, to close out the regular season. It's just, it's been just a game of inches for this team. And like I said, they've been faced. They faced so much bad luck from an injury perspective and just been inconsistent that um, we are kind of having the same discussion each week. And you know, we'll see what happens. Um, they should beat Vanderbilt at home, and then. Um, you know, on the road against Missouri, that'll be a bit of a challenge, but the the path is there. And if they can avoid Kentucky and Nashville, that's going to be huge uh, for Nados because they can they can cement themselves as a tournament team. But um, you know, it's it's going to take a consistent performance, and they're going to need to get Petty back sooner rather than later. Uh, I know the team played well, but uh, I don't know if you can keep that up just from everybody uh, in those stretches because we haven't seen it all season long. So um, you know, the path is there. They just need to avoid Kentucky and and continue to, to scrape and fight and win these games, and you know, maybe they'll get a chance to go dancing. Yeah, you got a 1-15 in the league Vanderbilt team coming in here midweek. Then you go to Missouri on Saturday to wrap up the regular season, and you think, well, certainly Vanderbilt at home, that's an ultra-winnable game. Um, but you know, Missouri kind of looks like that on the surface, but this is a Missouri team that has won four of its last five on its home four had one four straight before dropping a home game, big win on the road for Mississippi state and Columbia, Missouri over the weekend for its NCAA tournament hopes as well. So it kind of also becomes a question, big picture wise, how many teams can the sec get in? If Mississippi state ends up being a fifth team that makes the tournament, is there room for six SEC teams in the NCAA tournament. Uh, that's going to be intriguing and interesting to watch here down the stretch as well. Also want to mention Alabama women's team on Sunday knocked off Missouri at Coleman Coliseum to finish the regular season at 8-8 eight and eight in the Southeastern Conference. May not sound like a lot, but it's the first time since the 2001-2002 season that Alabama women's basketball has finished 500 or better in SEC play. And with that, it's a four-game win streak that Christy Curry's team finds itself on right now. And now some bubble talk for the women's team on that side of the hoops there at at Alabama. Uh, Alabama, of course, hasn't made an NCAA women's tournament since 1998-1999 that season. Also, uh, that's the same season that Alabama last won, uh, I believe, 98 or 99, that Alabama won four SEC games in a row. So uh, a historic finish here to this regular season for the Alabama women's team as well. Now, it's been a – it feels like it's been almost a month. Maybe not to Charlie, but to me, the the NFL scouting combine up in Indianapolis, Indiana, mercifully came to an end on Sunday evening – uh, and really, Charlie, every day from Monday of last week through Sunday of this past weekend, 
there was Alabama stuff throughout the week, starting with Tua Tagovailoa and the wide receivers, Henry Ruggs III, Jerry Judy, and then throughout the week as you had the different positions and players report, do their measurables, do their medicals, all those things. Uh, there was very much, once again, an Alabama flavor to this event. Give me your top two takeaways, one or two takeaways uh, uh, from the Alabama perspective up there in Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, these are these are softballs, but, um, you know, you mentioned earlier in the week and you know, guys didn't start doing on-field drills till Thursday, so it did feel like it was a long event. But earlier in the week, whenever they were uh, you know, doing interviews at the podium, uh, you know, Tua Tonga-Valoa shared that he is going to be cleared to do everything here uh, in a week. Uh, so next Monday, uh, March the 9th, and that's big. Um, you know, I don't think he'll be able to do much at Alabama's first pro day. On March the 29th, or March the 24th, I'm sorry, uh, he didn't do anything in Indianapolis besides get measured and interview with teams. But uh, you know, he's planning on you know throwing and, and working out for teams on uh, April 9th in his own individual uh, pro day. Probably it could also you know, serve as Alabama's second pro day, I'm sure. But there'll be a lot of eyes on that one. But you know, to hear how he's progressed in his rehab, uh, how you know everybody's expecting him to make a full recovery. And he even said that he expects to be able to play next year. It just continues to be positive news for Tua, and, and that's good to hear because he's a good dude. Everybody knows that. He's a special player, and um, you know he deserves to be out there on that football field, and it sounds like he's going to be back out there sooner rather than later. So that was the big takeaway. And um, you know Henry Ruggs, just for me, you know, there was a lot of talk. Um, we've talked about it. I know you and Tim have talked about it on the podcast. It seems like everybody – not even just you know Alabama wise, just in the, the the sport of football, have been anticipating Henry Ruggs uh, running the forty, and um, he didn't really disappoint. Um, yeah, I know that he was whistled on his first attempt, and I think that might have thrown him off a little bit because when you look at the the angle from the the finish line, he kind of almost steps completely out of bounds on his first step out the gate. But you know to run a four two seven and kind of have a bad start. And that just kind of shows you the type of athlete he is. And you know, he also had a 42-inch vertical, and he's the first player in, in NFL combine history to, to run a sub-4340 and have a vertical jump of more than 40 inches. So um, the dude's a certified freak. Uh, I think he did himself a, a lot of um, you know good this week. I think he made himself some money, and he's firmly in that conversation to be the, the first wide receiver off the board. Um, and, and that's – you know I, I think if you'd asked this at the end of the season, we probably wouldn't have believed that, but – He's just continued to, to test well. I think he's interviewed well. Uh, he's a he's a good person. He's a he's a good kid. He's a great player. And uh, I know his his production isn't quite the same as as Jerry Judy, but I mean the guy basically every four times he touches the football he scores. And that yeah. athletic ability was on full display in Indianapolis. So to me, those are the the two big things. Really, I mean Alabama's contingent didn't do just a lot. There's only two players I think that bench pressed: Raquan Davis and Xavier McKinney. Uh, a lot of guys chose not to run the 40. Even a guy like Xavier McKinney, he came up um, kind of lame at the end of his uh, 40, his first 40 attempt. He had a an official 4.63. That's a little slow for him. I think he would have probably, if he hadn't have cramped up at the end, gotten in the 4 or 5 range. And, you know, he and, and his team said that he was um, cramping up. He didn't do much else outside the jumps in the 40. But um, I think that's kind of all-encompassing for this combine. We've talked about how long it is. The, the wait, because they moved it back to primetime instead of early in the morning, a lot of the, the players are kind of complaining about that. So I think minor tweaks and injuries were more prevalent this year. Um, so we'll see if they change that next year or if they 
you know, keep it the same. But that, that was kind of a, an issue um, event-wide that a, a lot of players were kind of cramping up or, or maybe even suffering slight pulls because of the, the time they had to wait in between things. So that was something that kind of cropped up this week. This past oh, week. the NFL likes that primetime exposure, though. They do. They, they do. They like that primetime exposure. Your cramps will just have to uh, – they'll get a few <laughs> extra IV setups maybe in there for them. But, you know, you also had some guys, I guess, Charlie, that chose not to really do much at all in terms of physical testing uh, or maybe they had some issues that were preventing them from doing much up in Indianapolis. Um Terrell Lewis with a vertical jump and also the broad jump didn't run. Anthony Jennings, I guess, didn't didn't work out. Um, did Trayvon Diggs run Sunday? I must maybe I missed that. He didn't, and I, I think people were expecting him to because Trayvon's a fast player. I think he would have right. uh, impressed with what he was able to do, but you know neither he nor Shaheem Carter um, right. ran or jumped to my knowledge. I, I'm going to go back and check on that because at the time when I posted, you know, how everybody performed, they didn't have any times or, or measurements, but those two, uh, you mentioned Jennings, um, and of course, Tua, uh, they didn't really do uh, much at all outside of positional drills um, uh, in their week in Indy. So yeah, there was a lot of guys that just chose not to, and I'm sure they'll do a little bit more on pro day uh, later this month though. Yeah, Tua, that left hand measured 10 inches. So he really doesn't have to do anything until the draft (laughs) because he has a 10-inch left hand. So he's set. He's good. Uh, In all seriousness, I thought it was interesting, Raekwon Davis. And I give the guy a lot of credit because he pretty much took part in everything uh, up Mm -hmm. in Indy. Measured 6'6", 3'11", the tremendous wingspan, which – if you've if you've spent any type of time up close to this guy, that doesn't surprise you. Twenty four reps at two twenty five with said wingspan, that's impressive. But the vertical jump, um, the forty short shuttle, some of that stuff didn't exactly, I'm sure, blow uh, personnel people's hair back. Um, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I think there's some guys that. You know, obviously still have everything to prove, the guys that didn't really work out that we talked about. But you talk about the importance of a pro day. I I think that's going to be Raekwon. I think Raekwon's measurables are undeniable. You know, 6'6", 3'11", you know, some of those things. Um, But I think he's still got a little to prove in terms of his uh, testing. Do you kind of see that being the case with him when – when pro day rolls around here in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I do. And, um, you know, he's a guy that, um, the tape's not his best for in the last two years either. That's right? true. That that's something that he mentioned when in Indianapolis that he wasn't very pleased with his last two years. And when we talked to him, I, be, I don't remember if it was the spring or before the season, but he had, he had talked about how he was well aware that he had a bit of a junior slump and he wanted to get back to that, that, that um, I think he called it that sophomore Ray. And um, everybody knows what he did as a sophomore. He was a freak. And everybody at that point expected him to be a first round draft pick uh, when he chose to came out, uh, to come out. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a big dude. Um, you know, something that big takes a bit of time to, to move around at times. And I think going into a pro day, you're obviously in a much more comfortable setting. And now, you know, specifically on what you need to work on. And um, I think that, you know, the time between now and that pro day, you have about uh, three weeks or so. Uh, you can really go into the lab and, and work on that. Um, 
I'm sure he got other feedback from teams. Um, you know, he wanted to show that he was a pass rusher and an all-around player. Um, it's tough to do that, really, outside the positional drills, and a lot of those are kind of cookie-cutter. But, um, yeah, I think that is big for a guy like him. It's also big for, for guys like Shaheen Carter and, and Jared Maiden, a guy that I was kind of surprised didn't get an invite after uh, participating in the Senior Bowl. So, um, yeah, the, the combine had a lot of Alabama flavor, but I still think a lot of guys have an opportunity coming up in that pro day on March 24th. And, um, you know, it's, it's a day that I love to go to because we stand around a lot for very little information. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's big for a lot of players. I think for Terrell Lewis, too, similar situation for him on pro day. Um, he did have a 37-inch vertical leap up there in Indianapolis. He did broad jump 100 and uh, 24 inches, I guess, uh, but he's got to run, and that, that's going to be an indicator of the, the health of that knee, mm-hmm. uh, and even more so than the 40, the shuttle stuff that he's going to need to do, the three cone and the short shuttle. Um, you know, for different positions and for different reasons for which they're going to have to validate themselves at Pro Day, I think Terrell Lewis and Raquan Davis in pretty similar situations and guys that I don't know of this group, if you'd agree with this, maybe have the most room to move either up or down in this draft based on how the last month or so of this process plays out, Charlie. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, Terrell Lewis and Raquan Davis have first round ability. They have first round size there. You look at Terrell Lewis and he's just an absolute monster, but with the injuries, He's just been inconsistent. The same goes for, for Raekwon. He hasn't dealt with that many injuries, but outside of that, that sophomore season, he just hasn't kind of lived up to those expectations since. So um, I think if they can impress teams, maybe just impress the right team, they can go a little higher. And if, if they you know just kind of are so-so again, then, yeah, they could drop in this draft. Uh, you've seen a guy like uh, Terrell Lewis and, and even Raekwon, maybe in earlier mock drafts. I know those don't really mean all that much, but – you know, those are guys that have been taken at the end of the, the first round. But, you know, if they go out and, and lay another dud, so to speak, then they could potentially fall down draft boards. So I, I think they have the ability uh, to go very high in this draft, but it's going to be up to them whether or not that actually comes to fruition or not. It is daybreak here on the Built by Bama online podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to the Built by Bama online podcast, we would certainly encourage you to do so. We would really appreciate a rating and perhaps a review while you're there. I'm Travis Schreier. He's Charlie Potter. Uh, We want to talk some team stuff now, football team stuff, Charlie, as we come to a close here on daybreak. Uh, pretty busy weekend in that regard. I know you and Tim Watts, site publisher there for us at BOL, were all over this strength and conditioning hire, looking for that replacement, or is it a tag team combination that Nick Saban is going to turn to from Bloomington, Indiana, of all places? This is sort of textbook Nick Saban in some ways, though, isn't it? Right when you think Nick is going to zig in making a hire, at least in terms of the perception of those outside the program, he zags a little bit on you, Charlie. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, pointed to, and it makes a lot of sense. And I think they wanted Alabama to hire Aaron Feld from Oregon. He's a, he's from the state of Alabama. He's worked in this program. Um, he has that kind of, 
exposure and experience in kind of the, the Scott Cochran mold. And uh, I think a lot of people just pointed that, us included. And, you know, if you're making a, a strength and conditioning um, coach hot board, that, that one is, is an easy one to put at the top of the list. There's just a Low lot sensible. of connections. Yeah, yeah. sure. But uh, I think it, as this developed, we started to realize that Nick Saban wanted to go a different direction and, you know, make it that what you will. But um, he, you can tell there's an emphasis on um, – cutting edge science behind this. Alabama has that new sports science center that he was sure to mention at the end of his uh, press release or his um, statement that they released after the, the Scott Cocker moved flexed. to Georgia. It, yeah. That was a flex is what that was, as the kids say, right? Yeah. Is that a flex, Real, Charlie? Uh, very much so. And it was, <laughs> it was subtle, but you could, you know, the, the people I think that, that follow this team and, and us, of course, could detect that. And you know, that's something that we'll have more information on when, when spring practice starts up on, on March 13th. Because, you know, right now it's – I think they made quite a bit of progress on it. But now it's still just, you know, they're, they're putting a building together or adding a piece on to, to Mal Moore. But nonetheless, I think you could tell that as this thing developed that he was looking for, you know, to go in a different direction, like I said, to have you know, someone that has that uh, background – uh, in kind of the cutting edge science aspect of it and uh, injury prevention. And I know a lot of Alabama fans have, have talked about that and how Alabama's had a bunch of injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And um, guys that specialize in this injury prevention kind of came up in this search. And, you know, David Ballou from Indiana, um, you know, he's a guy that, that um, spent several years at the high school level, but moved up to IMG Academy. I know everybody knows that program down in Bradenton, Florida. He was the head strength and conditioning coach there. And then, Moved on to Notre Dame for one year as an assistant strength and conditioning coach in 2017 and spent the last two seasons uh, in Indiana as their head strength coach. And uh, he's a guy that was a fullback in Indiana. He has a lot of connections to strength and conditioning. I believe he was uh, their strength challenge champion, according to their website, whenever he was a a three-year letter winner in the the late 1990s. But he's been uh, really involved in in strength and conditioning uh, since being a Hoosier. Um, you know, 20 years ago. And, um, you know, he's a guy that kind of crept up at the, the end of last week. And, um, you know, there's rumblings around his name. And, and then we learned that he interviewed. And it sounds like it's going to be, yeah, a package deal, like you said. Um, you know, Dr. Matt Rea, uh, he's their athletic performance coach or one of them at Indiana. And he really specializes uh, in speed and uh, also in injury prevention that comes up again. So, you know, those guys are, are going to be um, – you're working hand in hand in Alabama now, replacing Scott Cochran, and they're going to have top of the line facilities with that new um, sports science center. So, in everything that that we've learned and just hearing from from others, whether it's other coaches, people in the profession, um, seeing reaction on social media from from other strength coaches, it sounds like a home run hire for Alabama. Uh, and I know that. It sounds a little weird because we have talked about it when we last talked on this podcast of how important and kind of the, the face that Scott Cochran is in strength and conditioning. But, you know, this is kind of the, the new age of that, the scientific age of that. And, um, you know, Nick Saban, give him credit. Um, you know, he's an older coach. He's been doing this for a long time, but the man's willing to adapt and take on uh, new things as the sport evolves. And, and this is his latest uh, step in doing that for sure. Yeah, if anybody thought Nick was going to just kind of shut down the strength and conditioning program for a month while he tried to sort things out post-Scott Cochran, think again. I mean, guys <laughs> like Nick Saban, you know, they, 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 
Nick Saban probably already had David Ballou and or Matt Ray already in mind before this all went down. I mean, a lot of these coaches, they're thinking already a step or two ahead. So, look, you got a couple of things you got to keep in mind, too. This impacts recruiting as well. And you know what Alabama's got coming up on Saturday in Tuscaloosa? The second of its two big junior day events. So whereas Mm -hmm. that may not be a centerpiece type item, you're definitely going to be showing off that strength and conditioning department, aren't you? You're going to be showing off and talking about that new sports science center. So wouldn't you like to have one or both of these guys in place, Charlie? When you have a junior day event this weekend, I, I would guess that's the hope for the next four or five days. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's something that parents of student athletes are concerned Injury about. prevention? And, yeah, exactly. they'd love to hear about and that. I've even, I believe it was, my memory just went blank, but before they get on campus um, in the summertime, Alabama summer enrollees, I try to talk to as many of them as possible. And their last opportunity before, you know, they go under the uh, the blanket of Alabama's media relations department. But uh, I, I want to say it was Brandon Turnage. Um, I might be wrong in that. It was a it was a defensive back or defensive player from this uh, 2019 uh, signing class that you know, he talked about. Um, you know, Alabama's ability, their their training staff, Jeff Allen, and how important that was for him as a guy coming off of sure. a of an injury and in his recruiting process. That that was something that they asked questions about. That they, you know, went to all these schools and, and kind of gathered as much information as they could to, to see, you know, what was the best avenue for them to take. So that's obviously uh, a part of the game that maybe gets overlooked, but that recruits and their families are, are interested in hearing about. And I agree. I mean, it didn't seem like he was in the world's biggest hurry, but, you know, Nick Saban handles things on his in his own time. And I wasn't expecting this to just drag out and not be. Um, something that that um, went down at, at least before the start of spring practice, but it makes a world of sense that it would happen uh, before junior day because there are going to be a lot of questions and there are going to be a lot of maybe even concerns because you know Scott Cochran uh, was the face of strength and conditioning not only in Alabama but in college football, but you know now Nick Saban can hang his hat on well look we're bringing in uh, not only one but two guys that that specialize in um, in this field and not only that but you know, making sure your, your son is safe and trying to prevent those injuries. And he's going to have this bright, shiny new building to, to work in with alongside Jeff Allen, our, our training staff. So I think that's going to be, um, you know, quite the buzz uh, this coming weekend on junior day. And you know, we'll see when Alabama chooses to announce it. Cause like I said, I mean, we're on, we're on central saving time. So we'll, we'll see right. when that happens, but I imagine it'd be sometime in the middle of next week or this week. Yeah. You know, we have some fun with Nick and the, the flexing and all that, but, I think he was also giving you a hint, whether you realized it at the time or not, that he was going to turn his focus more towards, um, you know, where this is all seemingly headed with strength and conditioning. And this appears to be uh, exactly the route that it's it's taking here. Uh, As we wrap up, Charlie, Scooby Carter, uh, it's been sort of a revolving door situation uh, for a young defensive back who has been in and out, or at least in and out, considering uh, the transfer portal. And he, he announces here in the last day or so, not only that he is, in fact, going into the transfer portal once again, but sort of outlined some of the reasons without getting too specific. The primary reason 
personal reasons. Um, and you get that. I mean, at the end of the day, these are still 18, 19 year old young people. And, uh, you know, speaking from the parent perspective, you know, I, I see it first. I've seen it firsthand with ours. You're not too far removed from, uh, you know, that stretch of your life to kind of recall what, what it's like. And, and every situation's totally different. Um, so, so what does this mean for Alabama in your opinion? Uh, it's an area where there looks to be pretty good numbers, but there certainly isn't as much in the way of proven candidates as we go into spring practice. Yeah, there's there's a lot of inexperienced depth, and uh, I think Scooby Carter is a, a player that Nick Saban and the defensive staff were high on, that uh, high hopes for, and uh, yeah, he's revolving door is the best way to explain it because. Um, you know, he had been in the, the transfer portal before he had went in shortly after the Mississippi state game where he was suspended for not going to class. And, uh, he stayed in it until, uh, the new year came around. And, um, and when we were down in the citrus bowl in Orlando, um, you know, Nick Saban said he was willing to give him enough for another opportunity if he wanted it. Um, you know, Scooby removed his name from the transfer portal. I believe it was the middle of January, January 16th, if I, if I remember correctly. And now, you look at it, you know, just a little more than a month later, he's back in there. And, uh, you know, we, we confirmed he's in the portal. He announced that he was going into the portal. And uh, you you expect that to be the end, but you never know with this. But, you know, from a from number standpoint, it helps out Alabama. Um, I think they would love to have him back. I mean, Nick Saban said as much that, that if he was willing to come back and you know, go to class and do the things he needed to do, that they would have him back. And um, you know, without him, you, you have one less player that's been in the program. I know they, they feel really high on the, the young guys they brought in at corner. Uh, you even have a Juco guy coming in and when Ron, Ronald Williams, who's an early enrollee and will go through spring practice. But you know, outside of Patrick Sertan, uh, there's a lot of inexperienced players. I mean, Josh Jobs played some football, but he's been an inconsistent guy there too. So they're going to have a lot of young guys that are going to have to step up, and uh, they're going to have some opportunities both at, at corner and star with with Trayvon Diggs and uh, Josh or um, Shaheem Carter moving on. So uh, it's it's a it's a situation that you laugh a little uh, just because um, it seems like it's been in and out, in and out, in and out, but you know, seeing his, his statement and talking about how he's had things going on in his life, you, you just hope for the best for the for the young man and and um, you hope he lands on his feet somewhere. Yeah, regardless of that next stop, you just want a, a young person to eventually find the sort of peace of mind that will allow him or her to excel and succeed and reach their potential. And we certainly hope that's the case for Scooby Carter moving forward and we don't want to get too deep into sort of a position look as a result of all this but you know with those numbers at corner you know that that looks good compared to safety right now in terms of just guys that we know are safeties uh charlie and it, it leads you to wonder when you look at at the at the numbers and how they break down if if we might not see some experimentation right with a corner or perhaps two at safety uh, perhaps this spring. Yeah, I mean that's happened before. Um, you you look at too. You have some some guys that have kind of fit the, the athlete mold that could be there. A guy like Christian Story who's coming in at in-state prospect. Yeah, um, the summer guys are going to be big, aren't they? After uh, after uh, the initial signing, yeah, guys, 
as Nick said about Christian Story, he said he can play wherever he wants to. And so that's an option. You look at a guy, this is just me spitballing here on a the 2nd of March, but uh, a guy like Chadarius Townsend, you know, he's a guy that's now in a, a loaded backfield at receiver. I know he's or at running back, he's listed at receiver too, but they have a lot of guys there. He's a guy that's played defensive back before. Maybe they could get him a look there. Maybe that's where he finds his way onto the field. So they could definitely move some guys around. You mentioned corners. Um, a bunch of those guys can um, can maybe you know have some you know cross uh, exploration in the in the spring and, and when they get on campus. But uh, they're going to certainly be relying on some guys that don't have a lot of experience, whether it's uh, guys that have been in the program or just getting in the program for the first time. So yeah, safety is definitely going to be thin for Alabama this fall. Yeah, Brian Branch, Malachi Moore coming in the summer to go along with Christian Story. I think ideally coaches aren't always fond on throwing newcomers directly into the sort of mix there at that particular position, but saw him do it with Jordan Battle more on a situational basis in 2019 than an every down roll, but uh, uh, we'll see. Beginning Coming up on March the 13th, Charlie – which, by the way, is a Friday the 13th. So after all these injuries, Nick Saban looks superstition right in the eye and says, what? Come at me, bro. Apparently Nick Saban, not a very superstitious type dude, Charlie. No, I don't think he is. But it's also, that's the that's the Friday before spring break. So they'll have that one practice like they usually <laughs> do and then have a, a week off. So I think the players are going to be feeling pretty unlucky on that day. <laughs> With the the amount of work conditioning and the the message they'll receive for that practice, I'm sure that'll be just a bundle of joy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, the only people looking to get out of there quicker on that Friday than the players will be us. I can almost assure you of that. Um, that's going to do it for Daybreak on this Monday. As always, Charlie, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. No problem, man. It's always good to catch up. Yep. Always good stuff from Charlie Potter. You can catch him, of course, right there with us at BamaOnline.com. Travis Ryer, until next time, have a great rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Built by Bama Online podcast.